It's Thursday, June 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Thank you for being here. I know I was tearing you away from the Gulf. No, you weren't. I can look at <laughs> yes, this. Yes, I, I was. The, I see the forest for the trees here, man. It is a long slog. And I mean, this thing has been. Uh, you know, on, on my TV since Monday when Golf Channel started live at the U.S. Open, and you know, well before the tournament even starts. But, you've uh, got it up on your monitor. You know, you've got it on the TV. Do a one eighty over like I, where, <laughs> where you said. I'm not certain how productive this week's going to be. We'll just have to talk about that next week. I guess. What's going to happen later in the day? Maybe not later today, but tomorrow when the World Cup is in full swing. It's basically going to be you against everybody else. It probably will be. Now, fortunately for me, I'm actually flying out to Georgia tomorrow morning, okay. so I'm not going to be in the office. Um, There's not going to be a dust not going to be. A, yeah, we're not going to be fighting <laughs> over that because we're going to be at my mom and dad's house celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. I can't believe really? it. Really? Yeah, golden anniversary there for them. Really, really just, it's phenomenal, but... Um, you know, my dad, obviously, big golf head, so there's not going to be any World Cup on at their house. It'll, it'll be the U.S. Open. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we're going to talk earnings, and we're going to talk about a leadership change at Twitter. But let's start with earnings from Lululemon Athletica. First quarter profits. First quarter looked pretty good. Yeah. Profits were better than expected, but they lowered guidance for the rest of the fiscal year, and the stock is getting whacked. It's down about 16% so far today. H- how bad is this? Because, again, the quarter itself was pretty good, but I guess when they, you know, when they come out and say, yeah, it's not just Q2, it's going to be Q3, Q4, and presumably into the future. Right. And well, I mean, when you have a a company that has basically been the expectations of Lululemon for for you know, the the past couple of years uh, have have been for uh rampant growth, right? And I mean, the stock has always been priced accordingly. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, the quarter this quarter wasn't really it wasn't a bad quarter. I mean, if you exclude the one-time charge uh, for repatriating some of those uh some of those funds held uh outside of the US, I mean, they actually, you know, beat expectations on the sales uh and earnings sides. But yeah, it's all about tomorrow uh with Lululemon and, and the guidance that they offered for the uh, for the rest of the year was less than the market was expecting. I will say that when you when you hear a a management team, when you hear management for a retail company refer to the rest of the year, this year as a transitional year, that is code for look out below. I mean, rarely does that result in in a, a good day or or a good. Uh, Nobody comes uh, out and says this is a transitional year, and we mean yeah, that in an awesome exactly. way. Exactly, and it, it only is construed to mean headwinds. And I think that's a fair statement there with with Lululemon. I mean, they have uh, obviously a new leadership uh, team in place there. Uh, Laurent Pot Devin, I think I, I think that he actually is the man for the job. I think he'll do very well. They still need to kind of get rid of that Chip Wilson factor. Um, he, he obviously doesn't uh, the former chairman, right? He's he's the founder of the company, former chairman. He's no longer really uh, associated with the company other than other than being his largest single shareholder. But you know he he you know made a few more waves here recently in in voting against the reelection of a couple of board members. Now it goes it goes without saying. I mean. Uh, the the rest of the company seemed to disagree with him, and those board members were reelected. Uh, but you know, I I think that he's he's just kind of some noise that they don't really you know need to worry about it. And so I think if, if you can kind of put him aside and and let Pot Devin get this this company sort of get their priorities in order and steer this company 
uh, in in the direction that that they're looking to go. I mean, it's a tough market, no question. I mean, you're going up against companies like Nike and Under Armour, uh, Gap with their athletic brand, and so uh, I, I think that we are going to see Lululemon kind of entering this new pricing. Uh, scheme here. Well, I don't. I don't know that they're going to be able to afford the same kind of pricing power that they have in the past. Uh, but you know, with that said, I mean, I, I think that you know, it'll probably be pretty easy to latch on to this the repatriation charge that they're taking. But but let's be very clear here. I mean, the, the balance sheet they have about seven hundred million in cash on the balance sheet. The overwhelming majority of that is in Canada, actually. Uh, and in the call, they they said they really only had about a hundred million of that cash in the United States. So they're paying basically. If they're recording this thirty million dollar one time tax expense to bring $500 million back into the states. And they're going to use that. They have that $450 million share uh, repurchase authorization. You know, we we nail management teams a lot for, for piss-poor share buyback plans. This one actually could be pretty good. I mean, the stock is just getting killed. The stock's at a three-year low. Yeah. And so, I mean, this could be actually, this could actually go pretty well. Um, I mean, that remains to be seen. But uh, if, if their strategy works out and they actually buy these shares back at an opportunistic price... You know, I mean, I think I was obviously I know I was a little bit early in, into uh, you know calling Lululemon as, as a potential uh, a winner a couple of months back, but I mean from today's price, I mean if they're repurchasing those shares, uh, I think that that could actually work out pretty well for them. This is not a broken brand. This is a company that is really trying to sort of get its feet back on the ground here and move in the right direction. I am cautiously optimistic that they will be able to do that, but time will tell. On the flip side, Restoration Hardware shares up 14% this morning after a strong first quarter. They raised guidance for the rest of the fiscal year. It's only been public for a couple of years, and yet the yep. stock's hitting an all-time high today. Is this is this as good as it looks, or is part of this just, hey, the expectations weren't necessarily sky-high this is a company that has done well in a market environment that has done extremely well. And should we maybe add a few grains of salt to this quarter? Yeah, I don't. I think it. I, I mean, I think it was about as as good as it really looked. I don't think there's anything um, in anything that we're we're missing here. I mean, I, the one thing I I just have a hard time kind of relating to restoration hardware because I don't think I've ever actually been to one. Have you? I've been to one. I've never bought anything there. So it's similar, I guess, to a Williams Sonoma concept. I mean, you know, Williams Sonoma, and they also have Pottery Barn. So I think that uh, Restoration Hardware is sort of similar to that Pottery Barn uh, type of luxury. Maybe it's affordable luxury. I don't really know. But I mean, you're right. This this is a company that went private back in 2008. uh, Undergoing some changes there, change in direction, change in strategy. They IPO'd again in 2012. Uh, and since then, you know, it, it has done very well. Gross margins have continued to tick up. They've grown the top line at a nice clip, and so what you see is the company being uh, more and more profitable. Uh, and it's not surprising to see them doing well because William Sonoma has done really well. And so I think this is that they're playing into a pretty good sort of recovery story with with housing, uh, you know, recovering a little bit and people getting out there uh, doing a little bit more shopping, feeling a little bit more purchasing power there. Uh, it's a smaller company than William Sonoma. William Sonoma, mm-hmm. uh, if you compare the two, William Sonoma is a six and a half billion dollar market cap with uh, about four and a half billion in sales versus Restoration Hardware's uh, close to three billion dollar market cap and about one and a half billion in sales. So Restoration Hardware uh, potentially has a little bit more room to grow. Their strategy is to take these retail stores that they have and really turn them into these. 
the, these bigger stores, these these full-line design galleries is what they call them, essentially, where you could go in there and, and just get the entire concept that you're looking for figured out, as opposed to what they used to have, which was kind of this mall-based presence, which uh, is, is what they were steering away from when, when, they, when they went public again. Uh, it trades for 35 times full year estimates. I, I think that seems like it's a little bit robust maybe for me. I mean, I, when I see the market conditions today, I don't know that I have this, this stock at the top of my, of my list, but it, it certainly continues to perform well. Um, and I don't see any reason why it can't continue to perform well. They're doing a very good job with the direct-to-consumer. I, see, um, I was just going to ask about that, because you mentioned Williams-Sonoma, and part of Williams-Sonoma's success across their various uh, store footprints is that multi-channel approach, and e-commerce is a big part of that. They've really done a great job of that. I mean, they 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 are a company that, frankly, other retailers should be studying their level of success is restoration hardware, you know, am I going to, I don't know, am I buying a high-end leather couch <laughs> off of restorationhardware.com? I don't know. Possibly, but I think, uh, to your point there, I, I bet you Restoration Hardware has been studying Williams-Sonoma, at least to a degree, because Williams-Sonoma has executed so well on that direct-to-consumer um, line of business. And so, when you look at the numbers for, for Restoration Hardware, I mean, they continue uh, to keep the, the direct sales versus the retail sales very close together. The stores are about 53% of sales, but the direct-to-consumer sales are about 47%. That's a very healthy mix wow. there. Um, That's much higher consider, than I would have guessed. It, me too. And so when I when I saw that, I mean, that that is a good sign, and that number continues to, to, to stay there. I mean, that, that's that's going to be, uh, I think, very important for them going forward because it keeps that it keeps that gross margin expanding for them. They, uh, it keeps the gross margin expanding, operating margin expanding. It, it all comes down to the bottom line there with the net margin. Um, and I think that as long as they can continue to do that, that helps them control their cost structure a little bit. Uh, and it's not necessarily the most competitive space in the world. Uh, you know, you don't have a, a, only a handful of companies that are really clamoring for that market share. And, and so restoration hardware, I think, is uh, obviously doing the right things. Twitter's chief operating officer, Ali Rogani, has resigned effective immediately. He remains with the company as a strategic advisor to CEO Dick Costolo. It always gets my attention when I see that a top executive has resigned effective immediately. What's going on here? Because the stock, the stock is up maybe four and a half percent. Up at four and a half percent. Yeah, when when we walked in the studio and. There are a few things. I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about his track record. But here's what I know. He's resigned effective immediately. The stock is up as a result. And they have no plans to replace him. They have no, no plans to put in a new chief operating officer. So, And I don't think they had one necessarily before. He was the chief financial officer. Yeah. And then they brought in a new CFO. They essentially created this position for him. Did it just not work out with him in this role? Clearly, he has some type of value, or maybe it's just sort of a, a soft landing to say, well, look, we want you to stay with the company. You can stay on as a I mean, strategic advisor. That sounds like you're... Kind of a board member. You're still making a nice little check to yeah. check in maybe once But you have no responsibilities whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know that they're going to be really going to this guy for, for many answers in, in the near future. And, I mean, it, it could be any number of things. I, I will say, you know, after reading that book, Hatching Twitter, and learning more about just the very beginnings of the company and the way 
uh, we got to this point today with Dick Costolo as the CEO of the company. I mean, there there has been there has been a lot of shakeup in this company from the very beginning uh, to to this point now. And, and so, I mean, sometimes when you you made a good point there, I think there are a lot of companies out there today that that don't operate with the chief chief operating officers. I mean, Apple and Netflix are listed as a couple there, and um, it, chief operating officer isn't necessarily something that's needed because if you have a CEO that likes to be hands-on and part of the operational side of the business, well, well then maybe the CEO doesn't really feel like he needs that COO title filled. Uh, and just some companies are going to to need it maybe more than others. Uh, but it's why we see a lot of times when the CEO decides to resign and the COO takes over that CEO role, we like to see that because we know the chief operating officer knows a lot about the business and the operational side of the business uh, already. Maybe it's just something where he didn't really fit in with their strategic vision here for the coming for the coming years. A lot of questions out there, obviously, about growth for Twitter and how they're going to continue to really reach uh, you know a new user base in order to to keep the eyeballs coming back to the platforms. So it's anybody's guess as to really why this happened today, but you know, I mean, those 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 executive shakeups. I mean, many times can be nice headlines. They don't really mean a lot at the end of the day. I mean. Uh, Rob Gandhi came from Pixar. I think he was, he was CFO with Pixar. I think yeah. for for eight years or so, he started out as a CFO at, at Twitter and then moved up to COO. So it's not like he was someone just involved with Twitter from the very beginnings. So I don't think he was very intimately uh, involved with with you know all of the nuts and bolts of what Twitter was and has become. So I, you know, I mean, I'm sure he contributed a lot. I'm sure he'll be able to contribute as well going forward as an advisor. But it, it seems to me that really Dick Costolo is becoming the face of this company. And honestly, I like that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I think he, he's learning a lot sort of on the job, but, but he seems to be uh, you know, doing a lot of, of smart things. He's not really worried about playing that Wall Street game so much. He's just they're, they're trying to figure out how to execute this Twitter business model. It's not the easiest thing in the world, uh, but, but so far so good. So I'm excited about what the future holds. You raise a good point about the chief operating officer because it, it, it is not like the CEO, and frankly, in my mind anyway, it's not like the CFO. If yeah. I see a CFO resigning effective immediately, that is more of a red flag than this. And you mentioned Dick Costello. It reminded me of Eric Schmidt yeah. when he came into Google. I think it's e- it's easy to forget the struggles that Google had as a company early on because it was a decade or so ago, but uh, having the right CEO to come in and, and really right the ship and set the direction uh, and make sure that uh, you are able to operate in the way that, uh, well, it, it really should reflect the CEO's vision. Yeah, and I mean that's you know that's one of the things that we when we look at Facebook for example, and we see you see a lot of leadership shake up there as well. Uh, there has been talk, obviously, of Sheryl Sandberg possibly as a Disney replacement there. Uh, who knows how that'll all work out? But you know when when you look at Facebook first and foremost, you have to respect that it's Mark Zuckerberg there calling the shots, and he's thirty years old, and and this could you know ostensibly be another three or four decades with him at the helm here. Who knows? But but. You know, you you have sort of that continuity there, and, and you want to see that within the CEO role. The the other executive roles they will come and go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I just I, I don't I don't look at this as any kind of a real red flag for the business. I just I just think it's really Twitter kind of learning the management team just just really learning about how they want to execute on this long term vision. And in 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 order to do that, sometimes you have to shake things up a little bit. You mentioned Disney, Bob Iger, the 
fantastic CEO at Disney yeah. stepping down at some point in the next couple of years. You know how it is said of national politicians, boy, you got to have a really big ego to look in the mirror and think, I can be president of the United <laughs> States. I think whoever is going to replace Bob Iger, I hope they have a strong constitution and a healthy ego because you 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 got to have a hell of a lot of confidence to think that you are up to the job of filling the enormous shoes that Bob Iger is going to leave behind whenever he steps down. And, and, it, and it could be Sheryl Sandberg. It could be someone else. But it is – it is going to be a monumental task. It is. You're right. I mean, that's that. It's a great point you make there. It's one thing when you're filling in, uh, you know, filling the shoes of a CEO who just kind of, just sort of held the line or didn't do a whole heck of a lot because you can come in there and you can really change the direction of the company and, and you'll even probably get a pass if it doesn't quite work. But man, how do you fill those shoes? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've just got this huge hurdle to clear, and I just don't see how, I don't see how you do it. But uh, Godspeed to whoever gets the call. <laughs> I'll let you get back to the golf. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.